irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Apollo 11 was the first spaceflight that landed the first humans on the moon. Americans Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. On July 20th, 1969, at 2018 UTC. Armstrong became the first to step onto the lunar surface six hours later on July 21st at 2.56 UTC. Armstrong spent about two and a half hours outside the spacecraft. Aldrin, slightly less, and together, they collected 47.5 pounds, or 21.5 kilograms, of lunar material for return to Earth. A third member of the mission, Michael Collins, piloted the command spacecraft alone in lunar orbit, until Armstrong and Aldrin returned to it just under a day later for the trip back to Earth. Launched by a Saturn V rocket from Kennedy Space Center in Merritt Island, Florida, on July 16th, Apollo 11 was the fifth manned mission of NASA's Apollo program. The Apollo spacecraft had three parts, a command module with a cabin for three astronauts and the only part that landed back on the Earth. It also had a service module, which supported the command module with propulsion, electrical power, oxygen, and water. And a lunar module for landing on the moon. After being sent toward the moon by the Saturn V's upper stage, 
the astronauts separated the spacecraft from it and traveled for three days until they entered it into lunar orbit. Armstrong and Aldrin then moved into the lunar module and landed in the Sea of Tranquility. They stayed a total of about 21 and a half hours on the lunar surface. After lifting off in the upper part of the lunar module and rejoining Collins in the command module, they returned to Earth and landed in the Pacific Ocean on July 24th. Broadcast on live TV to a worldwide audience, Armstrong stepped onto the lunar surface and described the event as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Apollo 11 effectively ended the space race and fulfilled a national goal proposed in 1961 by the late U.S. President John F. Kennedy in a speech before the United States Congress. Quote, Before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely. Unquote. Each crewman of Apollo 11 had made a spaceflight before the mission, making it only the second all-veteran crew the other being Apollo 10 in human spaceflight history. Collins was originally slated to be the command module pilot on Apollo 8, but was removed when he required surgery on his back and was replaced by Jim Lovell, his backup for that flight. After Collins was medically cleared, he took what would have been Lowell's Lovell's spot on Apollo 11. As a veteran of Apollo 8, Lovell was transferred to Apollo 11's backup crew, but promoted to backup commander. In early 1969, Anders accepted a job with the National Space Council, effective August 1969, and announced that he would retire as an astronaut on that date. At that point, Ken Mattingly was moved from the support crew into parallel training with Anders as backup command module pilot in case Apollo 11 was delayed past its intended July launch, at which point Anders would be unavailable if needed and would later join Lovell's crew and ultimately be assigned as the original Apollo 13 command module pilot. After the crew of Apollo 10 named their spacecraft Charlie Brown and Snoopy, Assistant Manager for Public Affairs Julian Shear wrote to Man Spacecraft Center Director George M. Lowe to suggest that the Apollo 11 crew be less flippant in naming their aircraft. During early mission planning, the names Snowcone and Haystack were used and put into news releases. 
but the crew later decided to change them. The command module was named Columbia, after the Columbiad, the giant cannon shell spacecraft fired by a giant cannon, incidentally also from Florida, in Jules Verne's 1865 novel From the Earth to the Moon. The lunar module was named Eagle for the national bird of the United States, the bald eagle, which is featured prominently on the mission insignia. The Apollo 11 mission insignia was designed by Collins, who wanted a symbol for peaceful lunar landing by the United States. He chose an eagle as the symbol, put an olive branch in its beak, and drew a lunar background with the Earth in the distance. NASA officials said the talons of the eagles looked too warlike, and after some discussions, the olive branch was moved into the claws. The crew decided the Roman numeral 11 would not be understood in some nations and went with Apollo 11 in just normal numerical style. They decided not to put their names on the patch, so it would be representative of everyone who had worked toward a lunar landing. All colors are natural, with blue and gold borders around the patch. When the Eisenhower when the Eisenhower dollar coin was released a few years later, the patch design proved that it was perfect for the eagle on its reverse side. The design was retained for the smaller Susan B. Anthony dollar, which was unveiled in 1979, ten years after the Apollo 11 mission. Neil Armstrong's personal preference kit carried a piece of wood from the Wright brothers' 1903 airplane left propeller and a piece of fabric from its wing. Along with a diamond-studded astronaut pin originally given to Deke Slayton by the widows of the Apollo 1 crew. The pin had been intended to be flown on Apollo 1 and given to Slayton after the mission, but following the disastrous launch pad fire and subsequent funerals, the widows gave the pin to Slayton, and Armstrong took it on Apollo 11. In addition to throngs of people crowding highways and beaches near the launch site, Millions watched the event on television, with NASA Chief of Public Information Jack King providing commentary. President Richard M. Nixon viewed the proceedings from the Oval Office of the White House. The Saturn V launch pad launched Apollo 11 from Launch Pad 39A, part of the Launch Complex 39 site at the Kennedy Space Center on July 16, 1969, at 1332 UTC, or 932 Eastern Daylight Time, local. It entered orbit 12 minutes later. After one and a half orbits, the Saturn IV-B third-stage engine pushed the spacecraft onto its trajectory towards the moon with a translunar injection otherwise known as a TLI burn, at 1622.13 UTC. 
About 30 minutes later, the command service module pair separated from this last remaining Saturn V stage and docked with the lunar module, still nestled in the lunar module adapter. After the lunar module was extracted, the combined spacecraft headed for the moon while the third stage booster flew on a trajectory past the moon and into a heliocentric orbit. On July 19th, at 1721.50 UTC, Apollo 11 passed behind the moon and fired its surface propulsion engine to enter lunar orbit. In the 30 orbits that followed, the crew saw passing views of the landing site in the southern sea of tranquility, the area of the region known as Mare Tranquilitatis, about 12 miles or 19 kilometers southwest of the crater Sabin D. The landing site was selected in part because it had been characterized as relatively flat and smooth by the automated Ranger 8 and Surveyor 5 landers along with the lunar orbiter mapping spacecraft and was unlikely to present major landing or extravehicular activity challenges. On July 20, 1969, the lunar module Eagle separated from the command module Columbia. Collins, alone aboard the Columbia, inspected Eagle as it pirouetted before him to ensure the spacecraft was not damaged. As the descent began, Armstrong and Aldrin found that they were passing landmarks on the surface four seconds early and reported that they were long and would land miles west of their target point. Five minutes into the descent burn and at 6,000 feet or 1,800 meters above the surface of the moon, the lunar module navigation and guidance computer distracted the crew with its first of several unexpected 1202 and 1201 program alarms. Inside Mission Control Center in Houston, Texas, computer engineer Jack Garman told guidance officer Steve Bales it was safe to continue the descent and this was relayed to the crew. The program alarms indicated executive overflows, meaning the guidance computer would, could not complete all of its tasks in real time and had to postpone some of them. According to Margaret Hamilton, lead Apollo flight software designer, this is what occurred. Due to an error in the checklist manual, the rendezvous radar switch was placed in the wrong position. This caused it to send erroneous signals to the computer. The result was that the computer was being asked to perform all of its normal functions for landing while receiving an extra load of spurious data, which used up 15% of its time. The computer, or rather the software in it, was smart enough to recognize that it was being asked to perform more tasks than it should be performing. It then sent out an alarm, which meant to the astronauts, I am overloaded with more tasks than I should be doing at this time, and I'm going to keep the only the more important tasks, the ones needed for landing, going. Actually, the computer was programmed to do more than recognize air conditions, 
a complete set of recovery programs was incorporated into the software. The software's action, in this case, was to eliminate lower-priority tasks and re-establish the more important ones. If the computer hadn't recognized this problem and taken recovery action, I doubt if Apollo 11 would have been successful landing on the moon as it was. When Neil Armstrong again looked outside, he saw that the computer's landing target was in a boulder-strewn area just north and east of a 300-meter or 1,000-foot diameter crater, later determined to be West Crater, named for its location in the western part of the originally planned landing ellipse. Armstrong took semi-automatic control and with Aldrin calling out altitude and velocity data, landed at 2017.40 UTC on July 20th with about 25 seconds of fuel left. Apollo 11 landed with less fuel than other missions, and the astronauts encountered a premature low-fuel warning. This was later found to be the result of a greater propellant slosh than expected, uncovering a fuel sensor. On subsequent missions, extra anti-slosh baffles were added to the tanks to prevent this. Throughout the descent, Aldrin had been calling out navigation data to Armstrong, who was busy piloting the lunar module. A few moments before the landing, a light informed Aldrin that at least one of the 67-inch probes hanging from the Eagle's footpad had touched the surface, and he said, contact light. Three seconds later, Eagle landed, and Armstrong said, shut down. Aldrin immediately said, okay, engine stop, ACA out of dent. Armstrong acknowledged, out of dent, tent, auto, and Aldrin continued. Mode control, both auto. Descent engine command override off, engine arm off, 413 is in. Charles Duke, acting as Capcom during the landing phase, acknowledged their landing by saying, We copy you down, Eagle. Armstrong acknowledged Aldrin's completion of the post-landing checklist with, Engine arm is off, before responding to Duke with the words, Houston, tranquility base here. The Eagle has landed. Armstrong's unrehearsed change of call sign from Eagle to tranquility base emphasized to listeners that the landing was complete and successful. Duke mispronounced his reply as he expressed the relief of mission control. Roger Twant, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Two and a half hours after landing, before preparation began for the EVA, Aldrin broadcast that this is the Lunar Module Pilot. I'd like to take the opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever and wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and give thanks to in his or her own way. He then took communion privately. 
At this time, NASA was still fighting a lawsuit brought by atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare, who had objected to the Apollo 8 crew reading from the book of Genesis, demanding that their astronauts refrain from broadcasting religious activities while in space. As such, Aldrin chose to refrain from directly mentioning taking communion on the moon. Aldrin was an elder at the Webster Presbyterian Church, and his communion kit was prepared by the pastor of the church, Reverend Dean Woodruff. Aldrin described communion on the moon and its involvement in his church and pastor in the October 1970 edition of Guidepost magazine and in his book Return to Earth. Webster Presbyterian possesses the chalice used on the moon and commemorates that, that event each year on the Sunday closest to July 20th. The schedule for the mission called for the astronauts to follow the landing with a five-hour sleep period since they had been awake since early morning. However, they elected to forego the sleep period and begin the preparations for the EVA early, thinking that they would be unable to sleep. The astronauts planned placement of the early Apollo Scientific Experiment Package, or ESP, and the U.S. flag by studying their landing sites through Eagle's twin triangular windows, which gave them a 60-degree field of view. Preparation required longer than the two hours scheduled. Armstrong initially had some difficulties squeezing through the hatch with his portable life support system, or PLSS. According to the veteran moonwalker John Young, a redesign of the lunar module to incorporate a smaller hatch had not been followed by a redesign of the personal life support system, backpack. So some of the highest heart rates recorded from Apollo astronauts occurred during lunar module egress and ingress. At 2.39 UTC on Monday, July 21, 1969, Armstrong opened the hatch and at 2.51 UTC began his descent to the lunar surface. The remote control unit controls on his chest kept him from seeing his feet. Climbing down the nine-rung ladder, Armstrong pulled a D-ring to deploy the modular equipment stowage assembly, or MESA, folded against the Eagle's side and activate the TV camera. And at 2.56.15 UTC, he set his left foot on the surface. The first landing used slow-scan television incompatible with commercial TV, so it was displayed on a special monitor and a conventional TV camera viewed this monitor significantly reducing the quality of the picture. The signal was received at Goldstone in the United States, but with better fidelity by Honeysuckle Creek Tracking Station in Australia. Minutes later, the feed was switched to the more sensitive Parks Radio Telescope in Australia. Despite some technical and weather difficulties, ghostly black and white images of the first lunar EVA were received and broadcast to at least 600 million people on Earth. Although copies 
of this video in broadcast format were saved and are widely available, recordings of the original slow scan source transmission from the lunar surface were accidentally destroyed during routine magnetic tape reuse at NASA. After describing the surface dust as very fine-grained and almost like a powder, Armstrong stepped off Eagle's footpad and uttered his famous line, That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, six and a half hours after landing. Aldrin joined him by describing the view as magnificent desolation. Armstrong claims to have said, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind, when his first foot set on the lunar surface. The A is not clear in the NASA recordings, but the audio and video links back to Earth were somewhat intermittent, partly because of storms near Park's observatory. More recently, Digital analysis of the tapes by NASA revealed the A may have been spoken, but obscured by static. About seven minutes after stepping onto the moon's surface, Armstrong collected a contingency soil sample using a sample bag on a stick. He then folded the bag and tucked it into a pocket on his right thigh. This was to guarantee there would be some lunar soil brought back in case of an emergency required the astronauts to abandon the EVA and return to the lunar module. In addition to fulfilling President Kennedy's mandate to land a man on the moon before the end of the 1960s, Apollo 11 was an engineering test of the Apollo system Therefore, Armstrong snapped photos of the lunar module so engineers would be able to judge its post-landing condition. He removed the TV camera from the Mesa and made a panoramic sweep, then mounted it on a tripod 68 feet or 21 meters from the lunar module. The TV camera cable remained partly coiled and presented a tripping hazard throughout the EVA. Armstrong said that moving in lunar gravity, one-sixth of Earth, was even perhaps easier than the simulations. It's absolutely no trouble to walk around. Aldrin joined him on the surface and tested methods for moving around, including two-footed kangaroo hops. The personal life support system backpacks created a tendency to tip backwards, but neither astronaut had serious problems maintaining balance. Loping became the preferred method of movement. The astronauts reported that they needed to plan their movements six or seven steps ahead. The fine soil was quite slippery. Aldrin remarked that moving from sunlight into eagle shadow produced no temperature change inside the suit, though the helmet was warmer in sunlight, so he felt cooler in the shadow. The astronauts planted a specially designed U.S. flag on the lunar surface in clear view of the TV camera. Sometime later, President Richard Nixon spoke to them 
through a telephone radio transmission, which President Nixon called the most historic phone call ever made from the White House. Nixon originally had a long speech prepared to read during the phone call, but astronaut Frank Borman, who was at the White House as the NASA liaison during Apollo 11, convinced President Nixon to keep his words brief to respect the lunar landing as Kennedy's legacy. William Sapphire prepared a speech called An Event of Moon Disaster for President Nixon to read on television if the Apollo 11 astronauts were stranded on the moon. According to the plans, Mission Control would close down communications with the LEM and a clergyman would have commended their souls to the deepest of the deep. In a public ritual likened to a burial at sea, presidential telephone calls to the astronauts' wives were also planned. The speech originated in a memo from Sapphire to Nixon's White House Chief of Staff, H.R. Halderman, in which Sapphire suggested a protocol the administration might follow in reaction to such a disaster. The last line of the prepared text contained an allusion to Rupert Brooks' First World War poem, The Soldier. Back on the moon, the Mesa platform failed to provide a stable working platform and was in shadow, slowing work somewhat. As they worked, the moonwalkers kicked up gray dust, which soiled the outer parts of their suits, the integrated thermal meteoroid garment. They deployed the ESP, which included a passive seismograph and lunar ranging reflector, otherwise known as the LRRR. Then Armstrong walked 196 or 60 meters from the lunar module to snap photos at the rim of Little West Crater while Aldrin collected two more core tubes. He used the geological hammer to pound in the tubes, the only time the hammer was used on Apollo 11. The astronauts then collected rock samples using scoops and tongs on extension handles. Many of the surface activities took longer than expected, so they had to stop documenting sample collections halfway through the allotted 34 minutes. Three new minerals were discovered in the rock samples collected by the astronauts. Armacolite, Tranquilite, and Pryofrerite. Armacolite was named after Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins. It was the first part of each of their three names. During this period, Mission Control used a coded phrase to warn Armstrong that his metabolic rates were high and that he should slow down. He was moving rapidly from task to task as time ran out. However, as metabolic rates remained generally lower than expected for both astronauts throughout the walk, Mission Control granted the astronauts a 15-minute extension. In a 2010 interview, Armstrong, who had walked a maximum of 196 feet from the lunar module, explained that NASA limited the first moonwalker's time and distance because there was no empirical proof 
of how much cooling water the astronauts' personal life support system backpacks would consume to handle their body heat generations while working on the moon. Aldrin entered Eagle first. With some difficulty, the astronauts lifted film and two sample boxes containing more than 22 kilograms or 49 pounds of lunar surface material to the lunar module hatch using a flat cable pulley device called the Lunar Equipment Conveyor. Armstrong reminded Aldrin of a bag of memorial items in his suit pocket sleeve, and Aldrin tossed the bag down. Armstrong then jumped to the ladder's third rung and climbed into the lunar module. After transferring to lunar module life support, the explorers lightened the ascent stage for return to lunar orbit by tossing out their personal life support backpacks, lunar overshoes, one Hasselblad camera, and other equipment. They then pressurized the lunar module and settled down to sleep. While moving within the cabin, Aldrin accidentally broke the circuit breaker that would arm the main engine for liftoff from the moon. There was concern this would prevent firing the engine, stranding them on the moon. Fortunately, a felt-tip pen was sufficient to activate the switch. Had this not worked, the lunar module circuitry could have been reconfigured to allow firing the ascent engine. After about seven hours of rest, the crew was awakened by Houston to prepare for the return flight. Two and a half hours later, at 1754 UTC, they lifted off in Eagle's ascent stage, carrying 21.5 kilograms of lunar samples with them to rejoin Command Module Pilot Michael Collins aboard Columbia in lunar orbit. During the launch, Aldrin looked up in time to see the exhaust from the ascent module's engines knock over the American flag that they had planted. After more than two and a half hours on the lunar surface, they had left behind scientific instruments that included a retroreflector array used for the lunar laser ranging experiment and a passive seismic equipment package used to measure moonquakes. They also left an American flag, an Apollo 1 mission patch, and a plaque mounted on the lunar module descent stage ladder, bearing two drawings of Earth, one of the western and eastern hemisphere, an inscription and signatures of the astronauts and President Nixon. The inscription read, Here men from the planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969 A.D. We came in peace for all mankind. They also left behind a memorial bag containing a gold replica of an olive branch as a traditional symbol of peace and a silicon message disc. The disc carries the goodwill statements by President Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon and messages from leaders of 73 countries around the world. The disc also carries a listing of the leadership of the U.S. Congress, 
a listing of members of the four committees of the House and Senate responsible for the NASA legislation, and the names of the NASA past and present top management. In his 1989 book, Men from Earth, Aldrin says that the items included Soviet medals commemorating cosmonaut Valmir Komarov and Yuri Gagarin. Also, according to Deke Slayton's book, Moonshot, Armstrong carried with him a special diamond-studded astronaut pin from Slayton. Film taken from the lunar module ascent stage upon liftoff from the moon reveals the American flag, planted some 25 feet from the descent stage, whipping violently in exhaust as the ascent stage engine. Buzz Aldrin witnessed it topple. The ascent stage of the lunar module separated. I was concentrating on the computers, and Neil was studying the altitude indicator. But I looked up long enough to see the flag fall over. Subsequent Apollo missions usually planted the American flags at least 100 feet or 30 meters from the lunar module to prevent its being blown over by the ascent engine exhaust. After rendezvous with Columbia, Eagle's ascent stage was jettisoned into lunar orbit on July 21, 1969, at 2341 UTC. Just before the Apollo 12 flight, it was noted that Eagle was still likely to be orbiting the moon. Later, NASA reports mentioned that Eagle's orbit had decayed, resulting in its impact in an uncertain location on the lunar surface. The location is uncertain because the Eagle's ascent stage was not tracked after it was jettisoned, and the lunar gravity field is sufficiently non-uniform to make the orbit of the spacecraft unpredictable after a short time. NASA estimated that the orbit had decayed within months and would have impacted on the moon. On July 23rd, the last night before splashdown, the three astronauts made a television broadcast in which Michael Collins commented, The Saturn V rocket, which puts us in orbit, is an incredibly complicated piece of machinery, every piece of which worked flawlessly. We have always had confidence that this equipment will work properly. All this is possible only through the blood, sweat, and tears of a number of people. All you see is the three of us, but beneath the surface are thousands and thousands of others. And to all of those, I would like to say thank you very much. Buzz Aldrin added, This has been far more than three men on a mission to the moon, more still than the efforts of a government and an industry team, more even than the efforts of one nation. We feel that this stands as a symbol and the insatiable curiosity of all mankind to explore the unknown. Personally, in reflecting on the events of the past several days, a verse from Psalms comes to mind. When I consider the heavens the works of thy fingers, the moon and thy stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Neil Armstrong concluded, The responsibility for this flight lies first with history and with the giants of science who have preceded this effort. Next with the American people, who have through their will indicated their desire. Next with four administrations and their congresses, for implementing that will, and then with the agency and industry teams that built our spacecraft, the Saturn, the Columbia, the Eagle, 
and the little EMU spacesuits and backpacks that was our small spacecraft out on the lunar surface. We would like to give special thanks to all those Americans who built the spacecraft, who did the construction designs, the tests, and put their hearts and their abilities into those crafts. And to those people tonight, we give a special thank you. And to you all, the other people that are listening and watching tonight, God bless you. Good night from Apollo 11. On the return to Earth, a bearing at the Guam tracking station failed, potentially preventing communications on the last segment of the Earth return. A regular repair was not possible in the available time, but the station director, Charles Force, had his 10-year-old son, Greg, use his small hands to reach into the housing and pack it with grease. Greg later was thanked by Armstrong. On July 24th, the astronauts returned home aboard the command module Columbia just before dawn local time, 1651 UTC, at 13 degrees 19 minutes north 169 degrees, 9 minutes west, in the Pacific Ocean, 2,600 kilometers or 1,400 nautical miles east of Wake Island, 380 kilometers or 210 nautical miles south of Johnston Atoll, and 24 kilometers or 13 nautical miles away from the recovery ship, the USS Hornet. At 1644 UTC, the drogue parachutes had been deployed, and seven minutes later, the command module struck the water forcefully. During splashdown, the command module landed upside down, but was righted within 10 minutes by floating airbags triggered by the astronauts. Everything's okay. Our checklist is complete. Awaiting swimmers was Neil Armstrong's last official transmission from the Columbia. A diver from the Navy helicopter, hovering above, attached a sea anchor to the command module to prevent it from drifting. Additional divers attached flotation collars to stabilize the module and position rafts for the astronaut extraction. Though the chance of bringing back pathogens from the lunar surface was considered remote, it was considered a possibility and NASA took great precautions at the recovery site. Divers provided the astronauts with biological insulation garments, which were worn until they reached isolation facilities on board the Hornet. Additionally, astronauts were rubbed down with sodium hypochlorite solution and the command module wiped with betadine to remove any lunar dust that might still be present. The raft containing decontamination materials was then intentionally sunk. A second Sea King helicopter hoisted the astronauts aboard one by one, where a NASA flight surgeon gave each a brief physical check during the half a nautical mile trip back to the Hornet. After touchdown on the Hornet, the astronauts exited the helicopter, leaving the flight surgeon and three crewmen. The helicopter was then lowered into the hangar bay two, where the astronauts walked the 30 feet to the mobile quarantine facility where they would begin their 21 days of quarantine. This practice would continue for two more Apollo missions, 
Apollo 12 and Apollo 14, before the moon was proven to be barren of life and quarantine processes dropped. President Richard M. Nixon was aboard the Hornet to personally welcome the astronauts back to Earth. He told the astronauts, As a result of what you've done, the world has never been closer together than before. After Nixon departed the Hornet, the Hornet was brought alongside the five-ton command module where it was placed aboard by the ship's crane, placed on a dolly, and moved next to the MQF. The Hornet sailed for Pearl Harbor where the command module and the MQF were airlifted to the Johnson Space Center. MQF stands for Mobile Quarantine Facility. In accordance with the recently passed extraterrestrial exposure law, the astronauts were placed in quarantine for fear that the moon might contain undiscovered pathogens and that the astronauts might have been exposed to them during their moonwalks. However, after almost three weeks in confinement, first in their trailer and later in the Lunar Receiving Laboratory at the Manned Space Center, the astronauts were given a clean bill of health. On August 10, 1969, the astronauts exited quarantine. On August 13th, they rode in parades in their honor in New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles. On the same evening in Los Angeles, there was an official state dinner to celebrate the flight, attended by members of Congress, 44 governors, the Chief Justices of the United States, and ambassadors from 83 nations at the Century Plaza Hotel. President Nixon and Vice President Spiro T. Agnew honored each astronaut with a presentation of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This celebration was the beginning of a 45-day giant leap tour that brought the astronauts to 25 foreign countries and included visits with prominent leaders such as Queen Elizabeth II of the UK and many nations honored the first man moon landing with special features in magazines or by issuing Apollo 11 commemorative post stamps or coins. On September 16, 1969, the three astronauts before, spoke before a joint session of Congress on Capitol Hill. They presented two U.S. flags, one to the House of Representatives and the other to the Senate that had been carried to the surface of the moon with them. Meanwhile, the Soviet Union was secretly attempting to compete with the U.S. in landing a man on the moon, but had been hampered by repeated failure in development of a launcher comparable to the Saturn V. Meanwhile, they tried to beat the U.S. to return lunar material to Earth by means of unmanned probes. On July 13th, three days before Apollo 11's launch, they, la they launched Luna 15, which reached lunar orbit before Apollo 11. During descent, a malfunction caused Luna 15 to crash into Mare Crisium about two hours before Armstrong and Aldrin took off from the surface. The Georgerell Bank Observatory radio telescope in England was later to have discovered to have recorded transmissions from Luna 15 during its descent, and this was published in July 2009 
on the 40th anniversary of Apollo 11. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.